rolling around inside her head. She stirred and reached over to sip from a raspberry-colored metallic tumbler filled with tab, which sat on the night table near Pill Hill. Beads of sweat ran down its side, making new rings on what was left of the table's finish. The woman, believing that it held magical weight-loss potential, drank rivers of tab. If slimming was her goal, it was to no effect. Each successive choice to have six kids in eleven years left her body racked. From the bottom of her ribcage to the top of her pelvis, any muscular fiber was gone. When she coughed or laughed, her stomach, beneath her sheer bedclothes, seemed to ripple like water. I lay there and looked toward the window and wondered if the kids' shouts and whoops accompanied throwing snowballs at cars. Why did she never want to go outside? Why didn't she want to take a walk or get some fresh air or get out of this room? Slightly stoned and immobile, she might end up like some suburban version of the Collier brothers, buried by an avalanche of unfolded laundry, I feared. What could I do to help her? This is my mother, I thought. Whatever that means. In the earliest days, she tried. She was alone in her tiny house with six kids and no help. Sometimes I repeat that to myself over and over. Six kids and no help. Six kids and no help. So she baked constantly. Cookies, brownies, cakes, popcorn, and Kool-Aid were served on a picnic table in summertime. Back then, you controlled your kids, perhaps told them you loved them by serving them their favorite sweets. Today, love means withholding much of that. Our previous house where I had lived until I was nine was a small ranch that had only two bedrooms. My sister Beth shared a bedroom with two of my brothers and me. The room had two bunk beds. My younger sister slept in the living room in a playpen-like enclosure. My brother Stephen, then a baby, slept in a crib in my parents' room. At the old house, a clothesline ran across much of the yard, packed tight with children's clothes, sheets, and towels. In a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house with six young children, the absence of a working washing machine or dryer was enough to wear my mother's patience raw. By 1967, my parents realized that these conditions were ridiculous and moved to a nearby dilapidated house with four bedrooms. Lying next to my mother, I forged a lifetime of conversation with myself. Other children talked to themselves, whispering intently to someone who isn't there. However, I went all out here, not merely repeating lines from films, TV shows, and commercials, but attempting dialects and ethnicities and singing songs. While my mother was next to me napping, I was channeling Steve Allen, Frank Gorshin, and the Beatles. Alan Sherman, Dick Sean, and Paul Lynn, all of them might appear in a single afternoon, all in that bed. Eventually, my mother would stir. Her fitful nap ended. She headed to the kitchen to grapple with what to make for dinner. She would tell me we needed milk or bread or butter. She would tell me to hike up to the local delicatessen, perhaps a mile away, to get the supplies. I'd be more than willing to go. I'm out, I'd think. I was nine years old and addicted to solitude. If you went out the front door of our house and looked west, there was a block of middle-class South Shore, Long Island, white flight homes. In them lived businessmen, contractors, a fireman. It was a mix of education levels and tastes. 
On their 120 by 100 foot lots, these properties seemed generous and appealing to Brooklynites like my dad. Whereas our neighbors' homes were covered in antiseptic aluminum siding or traditional shingles, our house featured the more urban-style asphalt siding in a dulled and cracked forest green. The house seemed to sag, a slight bulge here and swelling there, perhaps from dampness or some compromise in the framing underneath. All of the white painted trim was peeling. The windows were dressed with cheap curtains on tension rods, all graying for need of washing. The pitted driveway was stained with unintentionally expelled automotive fluids. Some neighbors parked a small boat in their yard or planted a garden. Looking at our house, though, you got the feeling that Marjorie Maine might come out on the porch and slap Humphrey Bogart across the face. Directly across the street from our house was a public nine-hole golf course. I walked through a hole that...